It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast that helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and business for maximum DevOps awesomeness. On that note, if you haven't noticed, we're experimenting with having a new intro for the show. So uh, let us know what you think. I'm your host, Matt Stratton, at Matt Stratton on Twitter. This episode is sponsored by VictorOps. From initial alarm to final retrospective, the mission at VictorOps is to make on-call suck less, easily integrate with your existing monitoring systems, and manage on-call schedules with rules for intelligent routing. In the live infrastructure timeline, get real-time context and see annotated alarms with resolution documentation. And when you're in the firefight, collaboratively troubleshoot using native chat or bi-directional integrations with your favorite chat clients. Visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash VictorOps and sign up for a free 14-day trial to see how they're making on-call suck less. This episode is also brought to you by Datadog, a monitoring tool that helps bridge the gap between operations and dev teams. Datadog brings together system metrics, changes, alerts, and events from over 70 common infrastructure tools, such as Chef, Docker, and AWS, so that dev and ops teams share their key data and alerts in a single place and collaborate on issues in real time. Datadog is available for a free 14-day trial at ArrestedDevOps.com Datadog. So I recently had the chance to talk to Eric Sortensen of Puppet Labs about a whole bunch of new things going on in the Puppet universe. Eric's a great guest, and we love having him on the show. We talked about Puppet 4, Puppet's new application orchestration, and we even pretended to be industry pundits around the Red Hat acquisition of Ansible. So I'm here with friend of the show, Eric Sorensen from Puppet, here to talk about, well, all things Puppet. So Eric, for people who haven't uh, had the pleasure of meeting you yet, can you give us just a little background on yourself and what you do at Puppet Labs? Sure thing, Matt. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I'm a, you know, a longtime systems administrator. I've been doing configuration management for longer, perhaps, than I care to admit. My first uh, CF Engine deployment was in 1998, back when it was still pretty pretty raw. Um, but I got really hooked on the idea of just lighting up an infrastructure and watching it do, uh, watching it come to life more or less on its own after I got my code working. I focused on that for the rest of my career. The last, my last job before I came to Puppet uh, in 2012 was I, I built out a Puppet infrastructure at Apple for um, MobileMe and for the iCloud services. And uh, over time, I just kind of wanted to uh, move to Portland for various reasons, some personal, some professional. Uh, there's, I'm a big bike nerd, and so I was happy to come up here in the, the land of, of cycling year-round, get some fancy coffee and uh, good beer, and, and of course, work, work a puppet. So I'm the technical product manager for, for Puppet itself and for the platform oh. more generally. Great. So I also wanted to talk a little bit. We did an episode recently about infrastructure as code that you were on. And if listeners want to go check that out, we'll have a link in the show notes or you can go to arresteddevops.com slash infrastructure dash as dash code. Uh, we did a configuration management episode a year ago, but um, I'm interested if you want to kind of give us uh, before we go deep on, on any of the new stuff around Puppet. Can you can you give us the you know, maybe for listeners who aren't familiar with Puppet other than it's that thing for configuring some servers. Why should people care? 
Sure. So yeah, Puppets, um, you know, it's a tool that's uh, been around for about 10 years. We just sort of like, uh, I gave a talk at PuppetConf where I went back to the earliest uh, commit in the in the Git repository, which was actually an import from a subversion repository before there, <laughs> there really was Git. Uh, and yeah, it was from 2005. So it's been around for a while. Um, well, happy 10th anniversary. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but the idea is that Puppet lets you describe the desired state of your system and to write that out in a, in a uh, language, a domain-specific language, uh, it, and Puppet will um, uh, enforce that state on the nodes that it runs on. And it can either run in sort of a master agent mode or it can run standalone, whatever suits your, your fancy. So basically what we're doing, like like a lot of modern configuration management, we're kind of, I like to say, we care less about how the sausage gets made and more about what is the thing that I want, right? I want right. to have my infrastructure look like this, and I'm going to trust Puppet to put it in that desired state. Exactly. I want to have a delicious bratwurst at the end of it. Cool. So yeah, so let's talk about what's what's going on. So uh, I know Puppet 4 came out, I don't, not necessarily recently, but this year. Can you tell us a little bit? I mean, I'll give a little background for myself. I haven't really uh, used Puppet in probably about three years or so. So my skills and knowledge are fairly rusty. So I'm, I'm really interested to know what's what are some of the new things, first of all, in, in Puppet 4 before we get into the really new stuff that you guys just talked about at PuppetConf. Sure, yeah. So Puppet 4 is the first major version of Puppet since uh, since probably since you used it last in, in 2012. So some of that uh, some of the changes have been you know just sort of semantic version breaking changes that have stacked up over over time. But there's a lot of great stuff in there. I think the main thing is that we have a completely rewritten um, parser for the Puppet language, which has been available for about a year through a feature flag, like you could opt into it. But uh, now the, it's it's the default. I still have to break my own habit because I got into the uh, into the habit over the past couple of years of calling it the future parser. That was, <laughs> that was the flag you had to set. Dash, and now dash, it's the present parser. parser. Now it's the present parser. And the, the previous parser is gone. So um, the future is here in a sense. But uh, it's it's a really... So there was a lot of sort of um, edge cases in the, in the language that the previous parser was against something that, that uh, Luke Kniez had written in uh, a series of hotel rooms in 2006 and 2007 is his first developing puppet and so there was a lot of you know emergent behavior that came out uh that that was sometimes people had come to rely on it sometimes it was just sort of weird crap that happened uh and so it was nice to really get a fully fully formed specification for what that language ought to be and uh to to sharpen it up so some of the things that that people have been asking for for a long time that we just weren't able to deliver in the previous one were you know, some more languagey types of features for people that got into advanced puppet module programming like being able to do uh, loops and iteration there's a type system in there so you can declare when you're kind of declare an api for your module and say like hey we expect this thing to be passed in and it's got to be a, a boolean or it's got to be one of three possible string values or it's got to be a a number those sorts of things that were sort of um ill-defined in the previous parser what's the what what do you think the learning curve is for someone who hasn't used the present parser 
the, yes. the current parser, and but maybe has a lot of experience with using Puppet over the last few years. What's that? What's that curve like? Well, almost all of the language features are pretty much opt in, like the the lo looping and iteration and the, and the type syntax is all kind of like you can sprinkle it in. You can go all in if you want to. You can sprinkle it in, or you can not use any of it if you don't want to. So, uh, pretty much all with a few kind of edge cases where we had to change the way previous language constructs worked. Um, all the Puppet three code is is pretty much compatible with Puppet four parser, um, but but uh, it, and and generally the the syntax is pretty. It, it starts out pretty uh, straightforward and it looks more or less like a a Nagios configuration file with curly braces and stuff. And then you can pepper in more languagey constructs like conditionals and loops and that sort of stuff as as you need them and as you need more power in the language. So being that this is out for a few months now and, and, and had been out there, what are you seeing? And I'm not expecting you necessarily to have like a hard number, but you know, what you see in the community and people you talk to, what's the adoption been like for, for this new, for the new, the new parser and the new, the new jam? Well, uh, there's a lot of people who have gone all in with it. One of the um, examples that I talked through um, at public conf was uh uh, uh, organization called Even Up, um, who are more public customers and literally went all in. Like they reformatted all of their modules, went all in with the type system. And uh, Justin Lambert in our community was kind of the main driver behind that. And they really got a huge amount of you know reliability and uh, and some, it, were able to eliminate a ton of technical debt they'd accumulated over the or in those modules over the, over time. I would say numer numerically, uh, the number of people running Puppet Four in general is quite large. We uh, did a cert, did a uh, ran, ran some stats, and there's about seventeen thousand Puppet Four installations out there uh, that that were that have checked in at some point. Um, and, um, but I don't know how many of those have converted their modules over to use the new syntax. I, I don't have stats on that. Yeah. I think that would probably be kind of hard to see. I don't know if there's any way, um, that you could evaluate that in the four, you know, cause it's kind of like you said, it's really, are you using these features? Like how do you kind of evaluate that like in a, some kind of static code analysis, yeah. you know, well, there, the for the puppet forge, which is our community content site that there's a, uh, uh, there's actually a pretty awesome, um, sort of continuous integration system that runs in the background there when you upload new versions of the modules. And one of the quality checks that ends up, you know, uh, give, assigning your module a, uh, a quality score of one through five when when you upload a new version of it is to test whether it's going to be uh, Puppet 4 parser compatible. Now, it doesn't check necessarily whether you're using, you know, new stuff that wasn't available in three, but it does make sure that if you're if you're uploading it, that it's going to work for somebody who's who's uh, using Puppet 4. Who's using 4, so at least you're 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 compatible with that so yeah. that's definitely a, a good thing with that so yeah what are some uh some of the other things that are new in in four besides this fancy new parser yeah well i would say the big the other big shift is uh you know fo perhaps following chef's lead and and kind of learning from some of the lessons that um they all came to from uh moving over to omnibus packaging we're also delivering the agents in an all-in-one style package uh that has um, you know, everything that you need from a Ruby interpreter, uh, 
factors included, OpenSSLs included, uh, and, and Puppet itself obviously is all included in the same package. Plus, that package is unified between uh, open source and Puppet Enterprise. And it used to be that there were sort of two different versions and two different paths for for various config files and SSL and stuff like that. And now it's all kind of the one one the one package to rule them all uh, um, in, as a delivery mechanism for the Puppet Four agent. So that's that's been a pretty uh, it's been a kind of a an interesting voyage for us, as I'm sure it was for for Chef as well. Yeah, it's it's it definitely. Um I found, you know, having having Omnibus and having kind of all the, you know, everything in the bowl, you know, depending upon the shop, the type of shop, obviously, if if it's a heavy Ruby shop, they really like this because they don't want, you know, their config management tool messing with their runtime. Absolutely. And even on the other side of the equation, if they're not Ruby at all, they don't want to have to worry about dealing with RBN or any of the Ruby management stuff. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the omnibus style and I'm, yeah, that's been cool. I, I think on the other end of things too, it's it, like you said, it's been it's been great to be able to um, have have a really consistent story for people who are running uh, older operating systems like RHEL four. We we support and we're able to say, you know, hey, you need if you need a uh, we we can guarantee that this is going to work the same as it does on on uh, more modern versions of of uh, Linux and even like Solaris and AIX, which we also support in the commercial version. That that those are going to have a, a consistent user experience, and you know you're not going to have to rewrite your functions that you have used to extend the puppet in 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 Ruby, so that they you know take take uh, into account the fact that it's going to be running on different versions, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that's been a that's been a pretty big one. So hear that, all you DevOps AIX users, you have no excuses. You can do infra as code. You can use Chef or Puppet. So there's no excuses. <laughs> You'd be a, for- yeah. I mean, maybe you wouldn't <laughs> be surprised, but I was surprised. I should say at as to how much um, you know AIX there is out there in the world, and and not even you know like I guess I guess if you're running AIX, you're going to run the version of AIX that came with your with your hardware. But uh, we go back all the way to AIX 5.1, which I think is uh, uh, quite quite a ways back in the misty past. Yeah, we keep uh, joking about when we're gonna when someone's gonna ship you know the kitchen LPAR driver, you know, so, and, and it's a joke, but you know, maybe (laughs) we got to test it. (laughs) And there's some, actually some pretty intense, uh, virtualization wins that AIX has. If you're, if you go all in with it, you know, you can, you can run a ton of, uh, ton of LPARs on a, on a 390. What else? And I, I know that, uh, you rewrote, and, and I think it's Factor was rewritten in C++. Is that correct? Yep, yep. So Factor is kind of the little bit uh, equivalent to uh, Ohi in, in Chef, Chef World that uh, runs on all of the nodes and sort of gathers inventory information about them, gathers facts, and sends sends the facts along to the to the master or, or uses that locally so you can make determinations about what the what the right um, uh, stuff to do on that particular system is uh and that that was kind of an interesting experiment so that that uh yeah is rewritten in c plus plus and um it allowed uh uh us to get some experience writing in that tool chain using c plus plus using uh boost uh which is a a library sort of like a you know stand, uh, enhanced standard library for C++ lets you do stuff like command line parsing and regular expressions and all that stuff that that modern languages have and that you've sort of been 
accustomed to just being there in the standard lib. But if you're writing straight up ANSI C, you know, you don't want to have to <laughs> go back to scanning through strings character by character to find a match. It's like we have, we have tools for that now and just getting experience and having, you know, build tool chain for all of the platforms that we support. And, and, you know, is this, is this really going to be a viable thing? And it turns out that it is, it's pretty awesome. There's, it's super fast. It's, it's easy to extend. You can still extend it in, in uh, Ruby. If you wanted to, you can use uh, structured data in YAML or JSON and just pull facts in that way. And uh, it laid the foundation for a really awesome demo that uh, was on the, the main stage of PuppetConf uh, a couple of weeks ago, where we, ha we have a prototype of the actual Puppet compiler that's written in C++ using that same tool chain. And it's something like, I don't know, 50, 50 times faster than the Ruby one. It's <laughs> kind of ridiculous. And that's running in Puppet Land. That catalog compilation is something that happens on your Puppet Master, right? Yeah, or it happens either on. Edge? Well, it happens on well, the master if you're running in Agent Master mode, or it happens on the edge if you're running in standalone mode and in Puppet Apply mode. So, so it kind of ha it, yeah. But but that's a necessary step for transforming the input of the Puppet language code that you write to the thing that's actually consumed by the the agent code that goes through and looks at your system and determines whether or not it's in it's in uh, desired state. So yeah, so fifty times speed increase—that's that's non-trivial. Yeah, and you kind of get to the thinking like, well, what what is what is it what would it look like in a world where you were basically running Puppet all the time? You know, like as soon if it ran fast enough and consumed few enough resources on the system that uh, as soon as you pushed out a change, it more or less converged instantaneously across the whole your whole infrastructure. There's some interesting possibilities there that were that you know are still obviously pretty pretty early on, but but cool to think about. Like, yeah, that sort of ability, like you said, it's sort of watching for a change and just going. I, I think that, you know, I found when I think about there's there's certainly, I think, organizations that would be ready for that. I think there's still organizations where that would scare the hell out of them. These are the orgs that I'm, you know, work with who are saying, wait, no, I don't want Puppet or Chef running except maybe once a month. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Which certainly. is also scary as hell, by That's the way, if you're scary. listening, don't do that. <laughs> well, but I, I, you know, you can understand where they're coming from. It's definitely yeah. dri driven by driven by a fear of fear of change. And but uh, yeah. that, I, but I think that's also interestingly a sort of a shift that I've seen. You know, just over the course of the last decade or so, where uh, it, uh, we, we started out wanting the model came from CF Engine, honestly, where you you wanted CF Engine to run more or less continuously, and if somebody added a file on a system, you wanted that to be reverted almost immediately. Like, and we talk about that today in terms the configuration drift and 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 uh, I think there's been a shift to where now those kinds of changes we want to be able to understand them and incorporate them into the uh, into the running configure you know in the into this ongoing state enforcement but not necessarily have them uh, auto reverted in a bastard op operator from hell sense of like no you did the wrong thing and we're going to beat you down for it on the one hand like I understand I I'm am empathetic towards the idea that people uh, want to have their configuration captured and not have random changes going on. But on the other hand, there's definitely a real use case there where um, you know, people either want to run in no-op mode or Y-run mode and, sh and sh have it have the tool show us what did drift but not actually remediate it until the user takes an action to do that um, deliberately. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of a lot of pieces with that where I see you know, and I kind of just to to to, to back up, especially for for people who are listening who are 
you know, new to the space or are mostly used to using a tool like Puppet or Chef as a like, this is the thing I do for for provisioning, but not having it be something that's happening a lot. The reason that when I was making what sounded like kind of an extreme example of saying I only want Puppet running once a month. But the thing is, when you talk about Every time that your config management agent runs, you run a risk, not a risk, there's a possibility that something has drifted and it's going to have to make a change. And the longer the interval between the last time it ran and now, the greater the chance and of the of a large number of things that have changed. So you could be making a very large change. If you think about how much your system changes over 30 days versus over a day versus over an hour. So I think part of it, like you said, just also as we're moving and getting comfortable, especially in the infrastructure space of, of understanding that actually no more frequent, smaller changes really are are safer. And I think that's a thing that we like you're talking about in the continuous delivery model of understanding that even if it's not like you said in complete real time, but if you're if your limitation it's a it's a decision based on your business as to how often the, you know, puppet agent is running not because well it takes a long time. So I, I know it'll overlap runs if I have it more frequently than every 30 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it should be a conscious, deliberate decision as to how often it runs, not a limitation of the technology yeah. or perceived thought yeah, on how it would work. Absolutely. We'll talk about that in a minute in the, or in the application orchestration side mm-hmm. too, because I feel like there's, there's a corresponding shift towards like, Hey, I, I know my, my configuration management tool is really a means to an end to deliver the, um, uh, the business app out, you know, new versions of yeah. the business app or new configuration out to the nodes. And it's not so much about like the bare system provisioning or ongoing state enforcement of like the way, the way the operating system was set up because those become more disposable, but it's really about like the user initiating some kind of change through their infrastructure and the infrastructure responding to that rather than this, uh, you know, this CF engine puppet, um, automatic convergence model. Right. And, and that's the thing I, I like to think about too, is that we don't make changes to our infrastructure for the sake of making changes to our infrastructure. They're driven by changes to our services, to our applications, to things of that nature. And that's, again, when we think, and we talked about this, I think, a little bit on our Infrastructure's Code episode when when you were on about tying those together, about an infrastructure change is driven by an application change of some kind. And yeah, so when we get into that app orchestration, which I'd, I'd love to, to start talking about that because I really haven't had a chance to look at it more than anything than to know you have a thing called application orchestration. Sure. So, <laughs> and uh, I think that was enough announced at PuppetCon very recently. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was kind of the headline thing there. Um, let me hit on one more point, and then oh, we'll, we'll yep. chat about that. Of uh, course, uh, sort of as, as a concurrent change along with the agent rewrites or the uh, moving into, into C++, we've also been sort of shifting the server stack over. Uh, and traditionally, Puppet runs, the Puppet master side runs under uh, Apache in, in Passenger or some, some kind of rack uh compatible app server and while that is awesome for a lot a lot of people and works pretty well there are certainly some limitations in the kind of the worst case scenario that we started seeing more and more frequently as people ramp up at a large scale was that the apache passenger stack would sort of fall apart and would get kind of very uh, erratic response times and you kind of wouldn't be able to know how to pull it back from the gamma quadrant. So a couple of years ago, based on the successes in the Puppet DB project, which is kind of a data warehouse project for Puppet, um, we started rewriting some of the server components into Clojure. 
and running that that uh, a replacement stack for that Apache and passenger piece on the JVM going through Jetty and then running the Puppet Masters inside JRuby. And that's been pretty awesome since uh, it's it's been rolled out over the last two, uh, I'm sorry, last year it was announced at PuppetConf last uh, 2014 and uh, has been out since then. Um, but uh, we're really consolidating on that on the, on the server side. So you have kind of this um, really bulletproof um, server side stack that runs mostly on the JVM and runs is written in Clojure, and then the agent side stuff is uh, runs in C plus plus. Yeah, because I mean, there's there's the I don't want to say the calculations, but again, if you're running in that puppet master scenario, you've got that catalog compilation that needs to be happening on the server side. So anything that you can do to optimize that, right? You know, because you don't want that again as you're looking at saying, okay, great, now I can have my you know, factor is faster and the catalog compiler is faster, but if I'm waiting for something else, so you're, you're kind of doing the usual, right. You know, value stream. You're like, okay, bottleneck, this bottleneck solved. What's the next one? Right. <laughs> you know? It certainly so. is hard in, in terms of like, if you're running in an agent master mode, the bottleneck and puppet is definitely the, the catalog compilation. I mean, it's like, you know, factor of 10 or 20 more expensive than any of the other operations that we do. So optimi- optimizations that both, uh, you know, lower the max values of the the uh, um, time to t- that it takes to compile a catalog, as well as provides consistency if that you get a thundering herd problem is is uh, pretty beneficial. Awesome, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So yeah, so let's let's talk application orchestration because orchestration is the magic word of the DevOps, as yeah. I understand it. Forget containers; it's about orchestration. Well, even <laughs> even if you have containers, you still need orchestration. You still need so, that. I like to say choreography instead of orchestration. No, that's that's my new thing. I feel that's like more of the case. <laughs> like a uh, Swan Lake kind of choreography. Exactly. Yes. And then you go here, and then you go there, and we do it together. I'm a but, big George Valentine fan, so yeah. <laughs> suits me too maybe we can that's right we're gonna we're going to re uh we're gonna turn the industry on its ear you and me eric we're gonna change the word because that works <laughs> yeah yeah so we call it the unfortunately the uh, <laughs> your product the, however the, pro- is the product is called application orchestration and i i couldn't uh dip my oar into that particular stream before i hit the hit the world but um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this is a this is a pretty awesome thing. It's it's a pretty uh, we think it'll be a pretty big um, game changer if I can use that word. That's one of those uh, co- content warning words like thought leadership that makes me cringe every time I say it. But it, in this case, it might actually be true. I don't know. Uh, this is a prototype. There's been a prototype that uh, Luke wrote several years. that has been kicking around, uh, and we we actually focused this year on productizing that and making it a, a, a real a real thing. And the idea is that the same kind of um, model based approach that you apply to a single node's resources in regular Puppet, you can now apply across your application infrastructure using the orchestrator. So uh, it kind of moves everything out up a layer and lets you describe the relationship between hosts and between nodes or between containers, between different moving pieces of your application and lets you share little bits of information about them. So you can sort of inject the idea of, hey, here's my database connect string. Let me tell my, my application servers what that is without having to necessarily hard code it into the app server's configuration. 
uh, and and then a piece that actually is the orchestration part of it, which lets you um, when you kick off a uh, a job in response to a code change that you're rolling out, uh, deter- it builds a graph just like Puppet does on a single node, but it builds a graph of your environment and then runs the runs Puppet on the nodes that you are uh, that are involved in that application deployment in the correct order and taking into account that you know some of them need to finish before the next one start and making sure that they have the right. Um, the right information in their catalog before they run. So it's, it's pretty, there's a few, there's, there's a few moving pieces there, but um, it's a pretty awesome thing to behold. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's the thing that a lot of people are looking for is being able to talk about their topology, you know, like you said, so sort of moving, moving it up a layer for sure. And, and one thing that I, I find that's really interesting with, you know, talking to customers and people who are using these tools too, is that sometimes I think there's an interesting layer of when you need orchestration and when there are orchestration problem, what do you think you have an orchestration problem and you can actually solve it with an architecture fix? So I think there's a little bit of both, right? Like you still need the ability to have things happen in a certain sequence. Mm-hmm. But I've also seen a lot of times what people are looking to do. It's kind of like, well, but you could you could build a little more resiliency around this one particular piece so that you can can handle it. You still need to handle, but there's still dependencies, sure. right? You know, it's just sometimes I think the when I when I see what people are expecting, and again in my case, it's just because of Chef because I'm talking to pre-sales people in Chef, and they're like, oh, what do you mean that it can't go and then automatically detect that this particular thing was done and this was done and this was done and this was done? It's like, well, that's what Chef you can know that chef was done because you should know that it put the thing in the proper state. You know, a lot of times they're looking because what people are used to doing, if you're taking this is, I guess what I'm getting at is a lot of times when people are looking to solve an orchestration problem or they're saying that what they're doing is they're taking a manual release process where there's a long run book of the things you do to release that have a lot of manual pieces. And if we think about it from the, the analog to config management, when we think about how the system is able to be item potent, right? Like you can trust that you're you're telling it, do it till this is done, but you don't have to, you don't have to write in like for we talked about this a little bit on the InfraCode episode. Like if I'm putting a package resource into Puppet or Chef, I don't really have to write a test that says, did the package get installed? Because that's what it does. Right. So Similarly, if I'm sort of saying I'm writing my thing that says, okay, the first thing that has to happen is the database servers have to be updated and it's, and I have a module that does all the things it needs to do. I don't necessarily have a whole bunch of checks that need to happen before it moves on to the next thing. I, and correct me if I, if, if, if I'm getting this kind of wrong, I can kind of assume that the node is converged and it is now ready. It is updated to the newer version of my infrastructure. And I think if you're used to your process being, and then the sysadmin goes and copies a bunch of binaries, and then the DBA goes and runs some SQL scripts and then runs a query to make sure that it's getting back the result it's expecting. And all these things, it's kind of like shifting left a little bit to the my infra code. I can trust that it would do the thing it was supposed to do, but I need to know. It's more about saying, 
do this bit of stuff. But I think there's this challenge sometimes where, and I'd be interested to see when people are looking to implement this implementation of like, but how do I go in and add all these checks? Because they're used to doing that in a manual way. They're used to having, a, you know, they're looking at orchestration as a way of doing a script recorder of what their sysadmin usually does, which yeah, I think absolutely. is different, right? That's not what we're talking about here. That's we're just right. talking about making the graph bigger. Yeah, exactly. Making the graph take take into account the fact that there are some things that need bits of data that exi- that are you know, exist on other nodes and might be determined dynamically by the, by the fact that Puppet ran on that node, you know, might've, might've produced some bit of information that needs to be consumed by, by another node in that, in that application. But I mean, but I I think in theory, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, and and there is still, you know, there's still that mind shift, just like running Puppet or Chef on a individual node. You don't want to just take your bootstrap uh, yeah. script and line for line transcribe it into your configuration management tool right there's a little bit of uh, of um, awareness and understanding of what the way that tool needs to work and a little bit of a mind shift that you have to go through in order to to make use of it in the in the proper way like if you think about um, if you say in puppet you're going to send notifications through your graph of saying like okay you need to restart apache after i update this config file but what you aren't doing is you're tying that that notification together but you're not writing something into the service um, resource in Puppet that says, check to make sure the file is properly there, right? You're saying, I'm assuming that if somebody told me to do a thing, that I should do a thing. It's ready to do it. And I think that's the 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 wrapping the head around that, where the, that power is going to come in. Again, automation, like you said, we're not taking our bash scripts we already had and just writing them in. You can but you lose a lot of the power when it comes into that. And then you, you've, you've done that. So I, um, I think that's going to be a, when we look at the next generation of what this orchestration piece means and why I think the, um, this type of an orchestration story, like what you're talking about, which is just taking this same convergent idea and expanding it versus saying, well, how do I just take steps that I'm used to doing as a person and make a robot do them instead? Yeah. Yeah, I think the 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 neat thing about the about the orchestrator today too is that it's a way to tie together a lot of the content that already exists out there in the ecosystem. So sure. so like your description of your application is kind of like you can use modules that you've already written or that are out there on the Puppet Forge and link them together in a way that actually describes what that application looks like, even if those pieces live on on different hosts in your infrastructure. So you get to leverage the the content ecosystem, which I think is pretty cool. So how does it work? Am I like writing like kind of an Uber manifest, like a big manifest that has all the things in it? Or like, how do I actually do this? Yeah. So there's two parts to it. The first one is uh, that, which is, it's kind of a nice conceptual split that I think uh, is uh, similar to the way that the, 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 Puppet and, and Chef uh, uh, resource providers work in the sense that there's one that's sort of a description of what that application looks like, and that describes, you know, what the um, we have, this is what my database server looks like. This is what my app server looks like. This is how they communicate. This is the order in which they need to be uh, the, the relationships need to be need to be satisfied. And there's another couple of. Um, they're called meta parameters in puppet language. I'm having to mentally translate in my head to chef lingo. Uh, <laughs> oh, you don't need to worry about it. Our listeners aren't necessarily chef people. They're everybody, all the people. So, <laughs> um, but I believe they're they're like attributes in chef in on chef resources that look like um, uh, you know that say uh, 
this this is going to produce a particular bit of data that will be consumed by the other one. This is this is the, the and these are the you basically model the relationships between those different pieces of your application component, the different components of your application. And uh, then there's a second part of the, uh, the app description which binds those component roles into uh, individual nodes that are running Puppet. And those could be you know, physical machines, it could be virtual machines, it could be containers. But uh, that, that second step that's the binding actually is the input to a, uh, a, a version of the catalog compiler that actually compiles an environment graph. The con- the consumer of that environment graph is a new service that's uh, the the um, deployer service that actually is responsible for figuring out hey let me okay so these are the machines I need to contact uh, this is the order I need to contact them and if the earlier ones fail I'm not going to try to contact the later ones I'm going to report that failure to the user and you know, abort this uh, this particular job okay I was going to ask about yeah what what what's actually running this this mess so it's this um deploy deployment service right the deployer service and then can that be either something you run on demand or could also be potentially looking for just a change in a new version of the the module or or manifest rather uh yeah so normally this is uh you you run the deployer as either you know either out of uh ci or from a command line once there is a uh a new commit that you that you've promoted into the environment that you want to uh that you want to change um and then the deployer will go out and, and make that live Gotcha. So easily called from the end of something like Jenkins or whatever. You're like, okay, it's ready to go. Now we send that and then through some type of web service call or some type of service call, right? And says, now go, go forth and yeah. orchestrate. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's actually a bunch of interesting tech under the hood. One of, one of the pieces is this um, new uh, communications protocol that does use WebSockets, but it's a WebSocket that's open from each of the, uh, your nodes back to the central service, and uh, that's the communications channel by which we say, "Hey, you know, now it's now it's time for you to run. This is what the job is that you're running. Uh, report back your success over the over that WebSocket." That's very cool. It's it's pretty neat. There, the the uh, the demo is pretty awesome. Uh, my my teammate Ryan did the uh, did the demo live on stage during the keynote. <laughs> and uh, like all live demos, uh, he kind of he kind of flipped into you know Bill O'Reilly mode and said, "Fuck it, we'll do it live." Yep. <laughs> Uh, a, a chunk of the configuration that was actually commented out from an earlier trial run. So he had to, in, the, in front of 1,500 people, had to fire up BI and uncomment a chunk of a chunk of public code. So props to him for being able to pull that off. But yeah, it was it was pretty pretty cool to see that. Uh, yeah, awesome. We'll we'll hunt down the if there's a recording or, or yeah, that we'll, we'll put that in the on, show notes. Yeah, absolutely. The video is up on on the public comp site uh, and. Uh, the 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 rest of the session videos will be up pretty soon uh there's i i'm actually a little i'm sure like like you for ChefConf, like i get to see very little of the actual conference <laughs> uh because i'm pretty much working the whole time but uh there's there's a bunch of interesting uh both um uh at, you know more more in-depth app demos than we did on the main stage as well as uh David Ludercourt, who's been uh, around in the community for a long time, he he was a Red Hat employee for a long time, and and wrote the uh, he was kind of the lead lead developer on the project. Did a really in depth uh, tech talk about the technology that's behind the uh, the uh, application orchestrator. 
So speaking of Red Hat, um, this uh, I'm not quite sure when we're releasing this episode, but as of now, it was last week was the Red Hat acquiring Ansible. So I don't know if you want to join me in completely talking out of our ass where we don't know anything about what we're talking about, about well, what that, this means to the world. Uh, so we're moving <laughs> to the pundit part of the show. Sure, let's do it. <laughs> and if it doesn't work out well, we'll I'll just cut it. That's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty interesting. I I, I think my favorite uh, my favorite response to that was that uh, they probably could have gotten Robin Bergeron back to work at Red Hat <laughs> for less than one hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> we all know that's really why it happened, you know. So well, sometimes people have to be sneakier. That's all. From from uh, so so let's talk about this from a couple of angles. I mean, from a business standpoint, I think it makes a makes a ton of sense for Red Hat. It and and was really unsurprising, you know, because there were there was so much Red Hat DNA inside of Ansible uh, fr- from the start. So it's it's not a it's not like a, an out of the blue kind of move. Um, the uh, and I think for the technology standpoint too, it sort of makes sense. There's definitely some gaps uh, that that Ansible is a good glue to fill. It fits in really well with the rest of the Red Hat um, uh, infrastructure ecosystem, which is you know. All, pretty much all Python apps and the series of tools that have either been developed in house and open sourced or were, were acquisitions that they rolled back in like Ansible itself. So, uh, you know, not, not, not surprising. And it, I think it's, uh, it should be a good move for them. Yeah, I think that's, I think it was a, a pretty, pretty easy buy. And it's, it's been funny kind of, you know, cruising the Weber spheres and, you know, people saying, well, I wonder why they bought Ansible instead of Puppet or Chef. And we're like, well, there's, there's kind of not the same. <laughs> yeah, there's, and yeah. part of it is like, I don't think either of us want to be bought by Red Hat. I mean, nothing against Red Hat, but we're doing our own jam, right? You know, and it also seemed like if you look at the um, at at the the positioning and kind of the the blog post that came out from um, where they talked about what, you know, what it was that they were going to do and why it is that they that they did this. It really is around uh, the the that um, that that early life cycle in the machines, the provisioning mm-hmm. and the stuff that Ansible does really well, which is it's kind of it's almost like what you described earlier and about uh, taking the, the steps that you take as an administrator running a series of SSH commands and capturing those into a repeatable way. And and uh, when that when that the fact that there's, you know, no. Uh, you just need Python on the machine, which of course a, a Linux box is going to have out of, out of the box, and you just need SSH as your as your transport. You just need a, a root SSH key in order to get into it. Like it becomes really easy to be able to to um, r- run a sequence of commands across your fleet and uh, to do that in a really low uh, low friction way. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that when we we kind of look at the at the ecosystem that I would would never deny is that the the, the ramp up time on Ansible is way faster than it is on Puppet or Chef. Now, in my mind, that runway might run out pretty quick, <laughs> you know, but if you're saying, I just want to get started right away and do a thing. So if you're talking about, like you said, being able to get into that place of saying, what was I doing before to be able to get that, that quick provisioning to get that, you know, day zero, get my machine going. It's, it's really, you know, kind of taking that extensibility of being able to do that in a really powerful way. And then, you know, throwing Red Hat's resources behind it and having that a little more embedded in their, their ecosystem. Some of the things that like come to mind to me, and again, nobody can predict, but it'll be interesting to see what 
you know, it does kind of around the larger ecosystem. Um, I know Ansible has, has Windows support, some Windows support, you know, the blog post was like, Hey, no, we still love Windows, et cetera. I would be interested to see what that does for Windows adoption around Ansible yeah. these days and, and where that investment happens, because that's a, you know, you, you know, as well as I do that, you know, being that type of cross platform brings a lot of challenge. And that's something that Red Hat has really never had to do at all. Yeah, right? yeah like, certainly. Uh, they, they, I mean, they, they have no relationship there. You well, know, and indeed, so. they have a vested interest in people not running Windows because yeah. people who pay pay Microsoft for a license. They're not going to buy not going to buy a RHEL license. Yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting. It, and you know, we there's actually a uh, a Puppet integration with um, Red Hat Satellite Six. They and we've yeah, been with them on Puppet Enterprise, there was a you know a great. Um, there, there's actually a really cool really cool uh, integration that we've got going with them that it, that we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago at, at Puppet. Conf, Carl, Carl Kalm and, and the uh, product manager from, from Red Hat co-presented on this. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that that, and well, they've, they've stated publicly that doesn't change that. It's just, there's a, there's a separate piece that around, uh, around that command and control and uh, command execution that Ansible fills just really, really well. And that, I think that was the point of the acquisition. Absolutely. I would agree. But I think ultimately we're right. They were just, you know, trying to get Robin to come back. So <laughs> that was, that was accomplished for sure. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's going to play out interesting. The good thing is, I mean, I do remember one of the things um, from that I saw in some of the notes I saw from Luke's keynote is he talked about the fact that, you know, it's, what is it? There's less than 15% of enterprises are using any of these kind of tools right now. So there's plenty of, plenty of stuff out there. And that's a, that's a great thing for those of us in this space that what he said, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase cause I was just reading notes, but you know, right. Is, as I remember from kind of my understanding is it's a great thing for those of us in the space because, Hey, there's all sorts of customers, all sorts of people that we can help, but it's also kind of a little, when we understand it, it's also a little terrifying that, and it's really challenging to think about that. There's that much out there that really needs needs help and needs to be in this space and we need to be able to figure out how we can you know and that's why i always kind of look at it and i i say you know when i'm not wearing my actually where does my paycheck come from you know hat i'm like and someone says should i use puppet or chef i say my answer is yes yeah like do the thing that makes you awesome but not using a tool like this will not make you awesome well, so there's plenty of people absolutely. out there that need it right this so. is the genesis too and this is why i i promote Hashtag hub op, hug ops at every opportunity that yeah. I get because I feel like there's a small a small number of uh, tool partisans who um, ha- feel like there ought to be some kind of like deathmatch rivalry or something <laughs> like that and it's just not the case it's it's not you know uh, I feel like yeah if my my old boss scott johnston who was uh who has gone over to docker uh and runs runs product over there describes that other 85 percent as being white space in the market like it's just yeah. empty space that's out there that uh you know i think now maybe more so than certainly more so than five years ago they have an awareness that there's a problem and that there is some there are things out there which can help them solve that problem but uh haven't yet made the move to actually you know d- dig in figure out what the what the options are and um help find something that's going to get them out of the uh manual hell that they're living in yeah i mean i think a huge indicator for me is i mean i've spent my whole it career in the midwest so i can speak with authority about this and it's not 
speaking down, but we are slow adopters here in the Midwest, right? You know, and the fact that there is so much interest in this space and my calendar is so full makes me feel real good. There's still a lot of challenge, you know, it's like sort of like you said, I feel like it's a lot of the, well, we know there's a thing we should be doing. So Matt, come in and talk to us about this thing. And then we kind of talk about it. And then sometimes you get the, oh yeah, we're totally ready for that. And then you'll, or sometimes you get the, not yet. And that's also my approach is if, if I come in and we're talking and you're, you're looking to want to do something with puppet or chef or whatever. I mean, if I'm talking to you, it's going to be about chef, but whatever, you might be talking about both. And there are times I can tell, you know, or can be evident that you're not ready. And that's not a slight. It just means organizationally, you might not be there yet. Right. And in a case like that, it might mean you got to move some stuff before you can. And you know, I, I was talking to a customer about this exactly today. And I said, I don't want to sell you the wrong thing because first of all, I, I do the work that I do because my life was made better because of Puppet and Chef, right? That's absolutely true. So it's super easy for me to believe in what I'm selling and what I'm promoting. So I just want you to be awesome. It's great if you pay me because, you know, I, get you know, new dollar. iPhones and stuff don't come for free, but, uh, and I love to get paid for doing a thing that makes me happy. But by the same token, I don't want to sell you the wrong thing because a, it's going to make me feel bad and dirty, but mostly it doesn't even from a business perspective, it's bad business, right? Because if you're not ready for it and I, I can probably convince you to buy the damn thing, right? And then you buy it and you hate it and you don't implement it well. All that means is next year you don't buy it again and now you hate me. And that did nobody any good where, you know, so I think there's a lot of making sure that just because it's the new hotness that your organization's ready. But I think that's that's way harder than the technology. But we know that, right? Matt, you have no future as an Oracle TSE. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, I might get in trouble for saying that, but uh, that's that, okay. That's that. That is not a that is a, not a moral quantity quandary that a lot of large uh, enterprise software vendors have. But yeah, absolutely, you're absolutely right. What else is going around in the puppet ecosystem that that people should know about that they might not be aware of? That's that's rad and cool. Okay, well, there's a, there's a couple of things that have really caught my eye recently. Um, I I worked uh, like I said I I worked most of the time at PubConf, but I did a I did a stretch at our demo booths there, which was actually really eye-opening for me because I got to poke around at some things that I ha- ha- that I don't uh, through the course of my regular job, which was really cool. The uh, it, And one of them was um, Gareth Rushgrove, who does the DevOps Weekly newsletter, and is just mm-hmm. a, a great, wonderful human being, first off, but also great proponent of DevOps and, and uh, of, you know, making sure that people are, like you said, both culturally ready as well as technologically savvy enough to, to um, help help change the organizations. But um, he's been doing a lot of work on the, um, uh, on a puppet module for uh, managing resources in, uh, in Amazon uh, and puppet labs dash EC2, I believe is the module name. And uh, I, I hadn't really seen this since the very early days of it. And the thing that blew me away is because puppet kind of builds this model, like, like we've been talking about, about your resources, it has the ability to go out and query the state of the system and present you back with what that model looks like. So you, there's a subcommand if you have the Puppet uh, you know, tools installed. It's called Puppet Resort, Puppet Space Resource. And you can just run that over you know, users or you can oh, 
run it over the files in your system and it'll literally print out puppet code that you can save out to a file and then apply that to a different system or modify it and reapply it to the same system or you know kind of has this transportable format kind of like um what powershell does around passing around objects on the network yeah, no, I remember I, I, I like co-taught the weirdest like workshop ever at Interop last year with Ben Ford from, from, for listeners oh, yeah. who don't know from Ben is a puppet. And it was really weird because they wanted us to teach a workshop that was be- basics of chef and puppet. And we're like, how are we going to do that? But it was fun. But he talked about puppetry and like I hadn't seen it because I don't think either it didn't exist the last time I used puppet or I wasn't aware. And I was like, that's super rad. <laughs> you know, so, I really like it. So puppet resources have been around for a while. The thing that blew me away about, about the EC2 work is you can use that same puppet resource subcommand to describe resources in your Amazon infrastructure. So you can go through the web, the AWS web interface and, you know, build up a VPC, build up your instances and then run puppet resource against the, against the API and be presented with puppet code, which you can then save and check into a Git repository and do whatever you want with, because you now have your infrastructure as code for your, EC2 resources and uh, yeah, I, it just blew my mind. That's um, really cool. So, so that was pretty awesome. Um, uh, and I guess that, that let me just one more thing too is like there have been some. Uh, this ties back to a something that you said earlier about um, uh, building in the um, health checks and the the verification steps of a particular resource actually being, you know, brought into, into compliance, uh, into the public code. Well, um, I saw a great talk by, uh, Dan Bodie where he talked about using, um, console from HashiCorp to do exactly that. Cause console has this idea of, uh, you know, querying a local system, uh, for resources, which that system would provide to the rest of your infrastructure. And the way it does that is by, as you've, describe what the what the um, resources look like on the on that system you build in a health check to it so you say this this ought to have a uh, a web server running but don't publish the fact that the web server is running unless it starts passing this health check that the you know TCP TCP ports opening and it's returning a right HTTP status code that sort of thing and and it does that really dynamically in a really fast fast loop and publishes that information both out to consoles uh, key va- central key value store, which you can query, or um, out to DNS. So, you, so if you have like uh, other other machines in the infrastructure that are using that are using um, service names to get at it, it's kind of a pretty reactive service discovery. But uh, Dan showed a really cool um, uh, integration in between Puppet and, and Console that I thought was was uh, was pretty next level, and that actually does that uh, that. Thing that you described of building the health check into the infrastructure so that uh the, into the provider almost right that's yeah, exactly. that how it that's how it knows that it converged that resource was am yeah, i getting but, that right yeah uh well it does it as a separate so it publishes it through the console service so console's running as a separate daemon and mm-hmm. it's it's check it's doing those health checks uh continuously and it updates the uh, central registry once the health check succeeds. And then if it starts failing for whatever reason, it'll take that out. So it becomes a very reactive, very dynamic sort of data store for what services are active on your network right now, like within a, you know, five or 10 second convergence time. Very cool. Well, this is, we have, this time has just flown by. I'm going to tell you, <laughs> you know, yep. uh, I was like, yeah, we'll probably only talk for like half an hour. <laughs> get, get rolling, you know. Yep. 
and it happened. So, uh, but thank you very much. Uh, it was great to have you on the show again. We'll do this again. I just, uh, wanted to share one, one story that, that came to mind when you talked about promoting hug ops. They're both actually, they're two stories that are related to this and they both involve Sasha Bates. Okay. Uh, which comes as no surprise yeah. probably, but one was at DevOps days. Actually, they both involved DevOps days Minneapolis last year and this year. So I remember this year, um, Eric tweeted and listeners, Eric tweeted, uh, that, uh, he and Sasha, so Sasha Bates works at Chef. We're talking to each other and someone bystander said, Oh, are puppet and chef going to fight now? And he said, no, we're going to hug, you know, and that's the truth. And that's how it goes. Last year at, at the first DevOps days, Minneapolis at the evening event, uh, just happened. There were a bunch of chef folks there and we were sitting around with, with a pup employee at the after hours, just sort of, you know, drinking some beers, doing whatever. And it was, I mean, just in very good naturedness, we're sort of teasing about like, oh, you know, you're outnumbered, but, you know, back and forth. And then Sasha's she said a very smart thing that, you know, Sasha says many smart things that I remember and quote her on and she doesn't remember ever saying, but this was friends are more important than where you work. Yep. And that's absolutely true. I think that in this industry, we have a lot of respect for each other. I don't really care where it is that you're, that you're working. If you have smart ideas and you're, you're open and empathetic and yeah, and I've, you know, made great friends with quote unquote, who, like you said, there's a small percentage of people who would think that Eric and I should hate each other because we work at puppet and chef. And actually I think I love to learn from people who work at puppet and people like who do stuff with Ansible and all these things. It just makes us all better Absolutely. at what we do. I, I it like makes the, us better people. The metaphor I generally reach for is the fact that it's, you know, all of us together in this tiny little boat trying to get off, get across a giant sea of stupidity. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I think we're good. So thanks a lot, Eric. Thanks so much awesome. for having me on, Matt. Yep. So as I forgot to mention at the beginning of the episode, this we are also sponsored by 10th Magnitude, a cloud services company that figures if you're listening to this podcast, you must be pretty cool. You can find out about joining their cloud services team at 10thmagnitude.com. And don't forget about our newsletter, The Banana Stand, which you can subscribe to at ArrestedDevOps.com slash Banana Stand. It is the best way to know about upcoming podcast episodes and cool news with DevOps. We also have an iPhone app, if you dig that kind of thing, which you can download for free at ArrestedDevOps.com slash iPhone. And thanks to all of our sponsors. Be sure to visit them at ArrestedDevOps.com slash 10th Magnitude, ArrestedDevOps.com slash VictorOps, and ArrestedDevOps.com slash Datadog. Again, massive thanks to Eric for joining me. If you yourself enjoy Arrested DevOps, we'd appreciate it if you'd visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash iTunes and leave us a rating or a review in the iTunes store. We would love to know what you think of this episode. Please leave us comments at ArrestedDevOps.com slash puppet. You can always find us on at ArrestedDevOps on Twitter, and we're happy to get your input, ideas, or feedback via email at shows at ArrestedDevOps.com. I'm Matt at Matt Stratton. This is Arrested DevOps, and remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand.